When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, welcome to the 700th episode of the No Film School podcast. That yeah. podcasts do not usually have such legs. I feel like so many people started podcasts in 2020 and we've got 700 episodes under our belt. And disturbingly, I'm, I think I'm in like 400 of them. So <laughs> were, were you uh, there on episode one, Charles? I believe I was there for uh, basically like episode 30. It had okay. started before me, but it only started a couple months before me. And it was called Indie Film Weekly and it was scripted. And then we sort of found its voice over time. So I've been on since... July of 2016. And I think wow. it started like January of 2016. So I think it was, you know, not part of that first wave of podcasts, the like Mark Marin 2006, 2007, part of the second wave of podcasts where everybody was like, oh, like we, we could also just make podcasts. So yeah, I've been there that long. So I'm Charles Hayne. I'm the veteran senior here, I guess. And I'm here with Gigi and Jason. Hello. Good morning. And seven, it's bizarre to be 700 episodes into anything. But uh, hopefully, yeah. All right. So we've got one subject today, which is why don't we just start our own streaming service with Blackjack and Hookers? That is a Futurama reference. I don't actually think our streaming service should have Blackjack or sex workers. But it'll um, be called Blackjack and Hookers because it's the only... I mean, that's actually stand out in the app store, you know? Yeah. Great name for... Well, except that would be B&H. And I think B&H oh, would have... Oh, no! <laughs> yeah. Beards and Hats would have some... That's their nickname for themselves, by the way, Beards and yeah. Hats. Because they like hats. And a lot of the people who work there are beards. So, yeah, I think B&H might object if there was a blackjack and um, sex workers themes. Um, regardless, before we get to that question, that con- uh, conversation, which I think is a good conversation and worth having, let's talk about what we've learned from the No Film School podcast over the last seven years. I have something, but I'm curious about what you guys have learned, and then I'm going to share the thing I've learned. Well, I came across the No Film School podcast and Charles, your voice... <laughs> When I was first starting, when I first realized I wanted to try filmmaking. So I think I looked up film podcasts, how to be a filmmaker, and and I started just listening. And I think that the podcast, and I was a big podcaster. I worked at Gimlet, a podcast company at the time. I was on the business side, but I didn't know where to get my start. And I think the thing that was most helpful for me was just like starting to hear about the the process, the news, the just being in the mix because I did not know where to start. Like I didn't know 
anything about cameras. I didn't know anything about screenwriting. I had just started to take some classes, including Matt Starr's Write Your Pilot class and Scott Myers going to the story from the Blacklist blog. Scott's the best, a really good champion of emerging and, and new voices. And I think the thing for me that was really important was with Matt and Scott and Charles and George and all these voices that I was hearing, they were, I felt like I was being met where I'm at. And that's like, it's okay not to know everything. You just have to take one step at a time. And that's what I try to bring that perspective onto the podcast is like asking the questions that I wish I had known and some, and the questions that I still am figuring out five years into pursuing this. But I really just appreciate the democratization of filmmaking through this platform, through these conversations. Yeah, I mean, I came to No Film School in 2018, I guess summer of 2018. It saved me from a, a side job, side gig that I absolutely hated. I remember like vividly Ryan slipping into my DMs and me being like, God, I hope this Ryan Koo guy is actually the No Film School guy and not just a random guy who's like, call me. You know? Hey, Jason. Yeah, exactly. I was aware of the podcast, or I don't even know if I was aware of the podcast. I was aware of the website, you know, for sure. Just I remember following Amateur when Ryan made that movie for Netflix and he had like the amateur film cast or whatever. Like there's just like 10 episodes, right? Where he like walks us through his making and shooting the movie, which I remember listening to and thinking was cool. And now just being here five years later, a full five years later, over 3,000 articles I think I've written, maybe Damn, more. Jason. One, how to write a screenplay PDF, which you know, you should definitely check out if you're new and a lot of just, you know, writing specific articles or writer specific articles. It's fun to be a part of the process, right? To My goal, I remember when I started and I told Ryan this, I was like, I just want to work for a website that I would go to every day and, and that would hopefully do that. And when I joined the podcast, similarly, I was like, I want to be on a podcast I think I would listen to. And luckily, you know, Gigi and Charles kind of already had, had a podcast. I thought I I was listening to without even really realizing I was listening to my work podcast. So, you know, it, it's fun to be here and definitely fun to be a part of it. No film school's had such a pure mission from the offset, which is, hey, not all of us go to film school. And we all have a lot of questions. How does this camera work? How do you rack focus? You know, like, how did Martin Scorsese do that crazy one or in Goodfellas? And, you know, why do Agnes Varda movies make me feel this way? You know, like all of the, the big questions, questions. You, you know, you might have. So, you know, getting to be a part of that process has been amazing. 700 episodes is such a surreal number. I think like 500 seems like a lot. 700, it feels like it, it, it's an institution. Yeah. yeah. So it's really cool. And, and, you know, I hope, you know, for our listeners, like you've been able to get out of it what we hope to put in it, which is just a basic knowledge of filmmaking that enables you to go out and make stuff that we can then talk about later. Uh, and that's been honestly the most satisfying. I'll just say like, this past year, getting to talk to the wine club guys and, you know, A, knowing their fans, but B, knowing they used the resources we had on it to make a, a film that has, you know, that's so spoiler, fun. Some distribution, you know, is, is awesome. And just being a part of that process is great. And I think contributing to the people making art is awesome. I, nothing feels better, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that I'll add on all of that, because I think that's all great, is that the thing I've taken more from this podcast than anything else that has changed my art making practice is the power of sloppiness is the wrong word, but the power of like breeziness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Meaning most of what I work on professionally, I will spend like a year on a screenplay or I will write a book for a year or like 
yeah, I will work on a film and that'll be like a year and a half or two years of like between prep and production and the post and releasing and you're polishing and you're polishing and you're polishing. And, you know, there's that thing, P.T. Anderson, yeah, P.T. Anderson once talked about like writing is like ironing a shirt where you're going over and over and over the same area, trying to make each individual thing perfect. And that's wonderful. And it's great. And there's still things in my life that I like to polish everything to like a high sheen before I put it out into the world. But there is also a beauty, and I don't think I appreciated it before, of like a breezy, relaxed acoustic set where I'm going to get together with other smart people who know about a thing, and we're going to talk about a thing and share it with the world. And like that's influenced like what I created on YouTube, which is very much that, which is very much like I'm not going to edit this really heavily. There's a technical error in one of my YouTube videos. No one has ever mentioned it in the comments. I don't give a shit about it. It's kind of hilarious to me that technical error is on that YouTube video. And and that's part of the voice of YouTube for me and part of the voice of this. And like, I don't think this should be the only kind of content. Like I really love going to watch a super polished thing. We watched, mm-hmm. you know, my daughter and I watched Across the Spider-Verse and like that oh, is yeah. polished, like polished work, screenplay animation, very iterative to get there, but very polished. But I think that there is also like a, I'm sure there's a word for it better than breezy, but there's something for like, we're going to have a subject and we're going to drill down on it and we're going to share some beautiful things. And it like, is every moment of our, every podcast perfection? No. Do I maybe cringe? If you played me some stuff I said on the podcast in 2017, would I probably cringe? Yeah, maybe it's possible. I could get really cringy. I'm sure if you paid me some two, like April 2020 podcast episodes, I would cringe at the like, well, when this all blows over and no, we're back to normal. No. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, it's it. there's a power, I think, in low stakes, light, easy, breezy, free, wonderful, like we share this thing. But it's also, you know, like they're rich conversations. I think right. we... Because we know we're going to share them, I think we up our game a little bit. Like that we're probably a little bit more meaty Odd. and full of stuff every time we get to. I mean, we've never the three of us have never been together in person, but every time I was together in person with Gigi, it wasn't quite this rich a conversation. But like, it's focusing time to share a thing, which is great. Yeah. I've also been surprised at our reach. Like the number of times I'll be like walking around the street in Williamsburg, and someone will like hear my voice and stop me and be like, "I listen to your podcast," and like. <laughs> It's, you know, it's interesting. It's like, oh, yeah, there's an audience. Well, that's, you know, it's probably not huge in Cleveland, but hmm? (laughs) I mean, you'd be surprised. Like, we do reach such an international or outside of LA, New York audience, but that you were that voice for me, Charles, when I was just getting started. And I think it's really important to be engaged in this type of conversation or be listening and part of it. To me, it feels like this is what we get together. It's like getting together for coffee talk or drinks or happy hour to unpack what's going on and to like ask these questions in a open and safe space. And that's why I I also love when like our listeners write in and ask us questions like what we're going to talk about today, because this is a different way of honing our skills as filmmakers. You know, we are talking about these nuances. We're talking about going down the rabbit hole of some of these questions that then lead us to these other places in a very organic way that we would never expect to go to. And you don't necessarily seek out by saying like, how do I adjust an aperture article? Six ways to nail Wes Anderson's lighting style in your sleep, you know, stuff like that. But this is like rather an exploratory hangout session that I think hopefully, I know it added value to me and I think it continues now being part of it, part of the conversation. But 
I, it, to me, it does feel like we are also in conversation with our listeners who engage with us. And, and that feels a great way to be also shaping your career and your voice and your, this, this world and choice that we made to be making movies and TV, which is not always easy and can be kind of lonely. And I know that I was kept company by this podcast before I joined it. Yeah, it's funny. I just, <laughs> I'm sure there's like a 2018 article I could go back to and be like, you idiot. But so much of this is learning, right? Like I am a way better writer and a way better person, probably, honestly, <laughs> now than I was in 2018 or whatever. And I mean, I think back, I just, make you a better person. You absolutely do, Charles. I'm 100% <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, but it is that level of, you know, we're all learning together. And, and that's honestly what I always love about the website. It's like, it's not about whether or not you agree with everyone's take or whatever. And, and certainly there's all like, there are, you know, probably a handful of articles that I'd be like, I don't agree. I think you should do it this way. But I think what we've always fostered and why we have the comments section on every article is if you have a different way, let us know, you know, like politely and normally and not like a psychopath, but like <laughs> just absolutely. Like I do think this is a, the way I always look at this is like when you're done class, like if you went to film school, when you're done class and you're all walking to the next class together, what are you yeah. talking about? You know, what's the way to do it? I remember this guy had shot like a really cool short when I was in, and I was like, how did you do that? You know, like, how did you move that camera? Like, it's the, the brief conversation of how to's, whether it's writing or cinematography or directing or acting or whatever. And I think the podcast has, has been good. And, and honestly, as I learn lessons, m most of the articles I'm writing week in and out, I do think are, hey, these are the problems I'm having. So as I research and try to fix them, you know, hopefully you're coming along in the journey with me. Now, I'm 100% sure I became a better writer during it and, you know, and in the conversations and in learning through our readers as well. All right. So with all of that in mind and everything we've learned and built, why don't we just start our own streaming platform for indie cinema with Blackjack? <laughs> Great question. Uh, so th this topic is a bit of an interesting one. It's like a reader question, but it's not actually a reader question because no one wrote it in, but it's something that comes up conversationally all the it time. It is. It's a listener oh. question. Oh, we had a listener. Oh, good. We did have a listener yeah. question. Okay. Yeah. The other reason we wanted to conquer it, it is a conversation that I've been around so many times in the last decade where people are like, how come we don't build an independent media streaming service? So it's like Netflix, but for indie movies or something, how come we don't just build that ourselves? Yeah. And so we wanted to tackle it. And there's a couple of big reasons why we why it doesn't exist and why, honestly, I don't think it's going to exist. And so I can start rattling my reasons unless one of you guys is like really dying to rattle. Dive in, Charles. Go for it. I have so, the same question. I'm like, I don't know the answer to this. The first biggest reason why I don't think that there's likely to be an indie film streaming platform that does well is what's called the network effect. So most of us have the bandwidth to only check three or four streaming apps at a given time, right? So we check Netflix and Max. If you have a kid, Disney, if you have, or PBS kids, like there's only a couple that you sort of cycle through. In order to keep reminding you they exist, they have to market your attention. And they have to have something that keeps bringing you back to clicking on that app, right? This is what Stranger Film Things does for Netflix. I don't know what's doing it for Max. It used to be Winning Time and Last Week Tonight and a few other things. But, you know, they have to have a thing that constantly updates that keeps reminding you to go back to the thing, right? Netflix is not a static library. Netflix is not all the movies from before 2018. There's constantly new things being added to get you to go back into it. Could we do this with independent cinema? Absolutely. There's like 15 independent movies that get finished every day that we could just add. The problem is, how do you get people to be interested in seeing those 15 movies? And the number one way you do that is a marketing budget. You have to market 
So, you know, if you were to start this hypothetical streaming service, you would need to spend a lot of money to market the streaming service in general, less so the streaming service in general, more the individual content pieces. The individual indie movie, you're hoping that you'll get people to go to the streaming service and remember that they use it and then watch some of the other things there. The reason why I don't think this is going to work is I have Canopy. And if you guys don't have Canopy, if you're a library member, Canopy is your public library streaming service. And I have two. Canopy is great. You can put multiple logins in. So I have my Brooklyn College login. I have my Brooklyn Public Library login. I have my New York Public Library. I've got a huge catalog of stuff I can watch on Canopy whenever I want. I never log into Canopy. Ever. (laughs) Because there's no marketing force that's constantly reminding me to watch this amazing documentary from the 70s, to watch this thing. Like once a month, I'll be like, you know, I should look at what's on Canopy these days and see. But there's no marketing thing pathing me back there all of the time. And the biggest thing about marketing is word of mouth, right? Yep. That, you know, someone, I will be talking to someone, they'll be like, ooh, winning time. Did you watch episode four? Or like, the bear, that episode where he stages. And the problem with independent cinema is crossing that barrier where you have an independent movie that is going to drive that word of mouth conversation. Those exist, but then they're on Max or Netflix, right? I will, every couple months, there'll be something on Netflix that people will start talking about but it'll already be on Netflix. So getting that marketing push to get a independent platform to be something people are willing to pay for, I think is the first big hurdle personally. And on top of that, you know, that word of mouth is driven by entire teams of PR people who are helping get the word out to people like us who are also then talking about the show or the movie. And that is a strategic and exhausting process. I mean, one of the things that, Charles, you've talked about on the podcast before is if you're going to a film festival, absolutely invest the money in a PR team. And and that's one of those intangible things that if unless you have that network, it's really hard to even be considered and kudos to people who are scrappy as fuck and like go out there and make those meetings. Like I, I think of the team behind Anchorage and Scott Monahan, who literally is running their entire PR campaign solo and has been featured in Film Week and the LA Times and is really hustling. But that is a full-time job. And unless you have the discipline and experience and knowledge, like it's really hard to do. And I don't know if you even have the bandwidth to do it as a director or a producer on top of everything else that you're doing. Yeah, capital is always something we come back to, right? Like, how, do we have the money to do something? You know, like, and then also what's the market? And I do think just kind of riffing on both these to be like the studio hack cynic here, people subscribe and, and pay to watch things because uh, most of the time it has a plethora of things they want, right? It's like if you're paying... I think now I'm paying like $27.99 for Netflix because I have to add family members and do whatever. And um, I'm doing that not because I think my dad's going to watch The Irishman for the 25th time, but because I probably will and Great British Bake Off and all these odd things. But I know my mom's going to want to watch the newest Christmas Prince. You know, like it's Bless just her. what, it's As what she, she should. Exactly. Yeah. And look, if it makes her happy, keep doing it. But But it is, I do think the indie platform, the market is small, right? So the money would have to be high for it. Or if it was free, it's like, what's, you know, no one wants to get paid in exposure. So then how do you handle the bandwidth? There's so much overhead in what these companies do and and what they can do. Uh, I was talking to someone who was working on this AI algorithm, which would be like, it's like Netflix taste, but your taste and it'll know you. And I was like, cool. But and his biggest problem was that like, it took so much computing power for a computer to predict what we would like that like, 
it was financially overwrought, uh, you know, impossible to do. And, and I think this sort of has similar issues, which is, you know, to I, I think I would subscribe to this, but I don't know how much I could pay for it, you know, given all the other things I need in, in my life. And then also there's so many other things, right? I subscribe to Criterion. That's like a hundred bucks a year. That I think that's totally worth it. Tubi, Mubi, all of the bees, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. There's so many things. I, I do think if you're an independent filmmaker, and maybe this will fall into your category, Gigi, if you can get your title available to rent or buy on Amazon, Voodoo, any of these places, it might be more lucrative for you because then you're linking to something people already have. You're getting way more eyeballs. You're also getting latent eyeballs on it. You know, like who's just on there late at night that's trying to do something? You know, I just came off a, a TV show on Roku called The Holiday Shift, which you can all watch if you have a Roku it's TV. It's so or you good, go Roku. <laughs> Thank you. I love like, it. Yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> but part of our marketing was just when you, if you have a Roku TV, when you log onto the app on the right-hand side or the left-hand side on the bottom, it'll say The Holiday Shift. Click here to watch episodes now. How you know, many people and, took a picture of that and sent it to you? Like I did. <laughs> Dozens. My mom sent it three times. I was like, yes, it is Aww. on all of your Roku TVs. Yeah. Oh. But, well, uh, people yeah. forget this about Roku, but the reason why Roku is so cheap is because they are an ad platform. Yes. Roku yeah. makes their money off advertising. And they can advertise their own originals. 70 million houses, apparently. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> More yeah. Than that. yeah. They can market their originals, but they will also, like a new show will come out on Disney Plus and Disney will pay a lot of money to Roku to make your whole Roku screen look all Mandalorian for a week. Exactly. And then it'll go back yeah. to being normal Roku City where yeah. we all would like to move. So like that's I'd why like Roku is so cheap to get that marketing angle. Roku could decide to do an indie film channel, right? Roku Absolutely. could potentially do that. And Roku has the Roku channel and they do stuff, but they do more mainstream stuff. The, the other answer that we have to talk about this is curation, right? The, yep. the whole algorithmic curation you're talking about. Let's not forget. So, you know, if you've made an indie film, you can just put it on Amazon and everybody's already got the Amazon Prime app on their TV because Mrs. Maisel was a hit and because that's the place you can rent the real Ghostbusters from the 1990s and 80s. And like, that is where, like, everyone has the Amazon Prime app on their TV already. You are more incentivized to get your movie on that than it is to start a new indie film Roku channel. However, there's a lesson in the Amazon Prime experience that I think is worth evaluating here, which is, in addition to everything else we talk about, Amazon has the resources to vet Criterion. All they do is vet. The thing you are paying for with Criterion is we have vetted for you. We are picking out the good movies. That is what they say. That They have Criterion for what makes a good movie. And then if you pass the Criterion, you are part of the Criterion collection. That is their thing. If you needed to do an indie film channel, you would have to have some sort of vetting. And you could say to yourself, well, we want like a pretty wide avenue of vetting. But let's not forget that there's also like legal and lawsuit repercussions of what content you host, right? So Amazon Prime, you can just put your movie on Amazon. If you've made an indie film, you can put it on Amazon. Yep. You used to be able to put your episodic up and you can't anymore. And you used to be able to put your doc up and you can't anymore. And the reason you can't put your doc up anymore is because of all of the lawsuit hassles from people poisoning the doc while making these ultra low budget, super inflammatory anti-vax documentaries or far right wing documentaries. And I could both sides it and say far left documentaries, but I do not think there was like a big Marxist propaganda documentary problem on Amazon Prime. But there were like fascist adjacent documentaries being put up there, which were creating liability issues. And Amazon was like, rather than trying to decide which docs we want and which docs we don't, y'all lost it. No more docs at all on Amazon Prime. So if you, you see a documentary on Amazon Prime, what? You lost your privilege. You lost your privilege. You lost it. So because of poison assholes out there making crazy documentaries that Netflix did not want on their platform, 
Now, if you, you will see new docs on Amazon Prime. It's usually something Amazon either commissioned or bought out of a festival. But the ability for anybody to just go put their documentary up is now gone. So if you had this indie film platform, you still need to hire a trust and compliance safety team to be evaluating at bare minimum. There's not like naked children or crazy political, like you, you, you have to evaluate. You can't just let everything go up. And so that also costs money and resources. And it's a complicated widget, but it's not good. I, I do not see in the near future, any kind of indie film dedicated streaming platform. I think the better move is working with the streaming platforms that exist because they are, you know, Amazon makes some interesting, weird little movies. Amazon buys interesting little movies and then interesting little movies end up there and you build your own marketing and people find it over time. And Netflix as well has paid for some interesting little projects. And I know for a long time, Netflix was very episodic focused, but in the last couple of years, they've been way more interested in one-off movies that might have an audience that can find an opportunity to find its people. So I think that there is, you know, a, a wide variety of streaming platforms now. And I think, you know, the idea that indie film could go build its own little thing is interesting to me because like indie film is always sort of piggybacked on studio, right? Like in the nineties, if you're seeing usual suspects in the theater, it was financed independently, but it's still in movie theaters that normally show studio movies, right? There were a few little independent theaters in a couple of the big cities, but for the most part, you were seeing it in a theater that like two doors down was showing, you know, I don't know, mission impossible two. I don't know what was out at the same time as usual suspects. Mission impossible two was pretty good. S was three. Most of that franchise is pretty good. So I, I just don't see the, I, I, it doesn't work for me as a model, the independent streaming platform. It doesn't seem like it would survive. Yeah, you have the IFC channel. There's like a lot. I, I do think the, the market is served at, on every platform. I'm certainly not enough on, one, you know what I mean? It's why everyone has their own like indie film, click on this, do whatever. American Independence on uh, Criterion. I think even Netflix has an independent film thing. You know, IFC is a, a whole channel exists. It, it's not amazing, but the thing is, I, I do think a lot of us, there are people who are always going to make small indie films and do that and hopefully find buyers and places to put it. A lot of people are making those movies to make sure they get seen so they can make a larger budget movie. Maybe it's, you know, something more this, like a Fox Searchlight level, you know, or an A24 level, which will get distribution and then live on a platform somewhere else, you know? So it, it's not the easiest thing to do, but I don't know. I think like, if you're an independent filmmaker, focus on where your movie should go. You know, I think like the platform's not coming to save you. Unfortunately, like you are the captain of that ship and you're steering it. So like find the plot, like whether that's getting in touch with your Amazons, trying to sell there, like finding that rep at Netflix and being like, you should watch this. We were in this or that festival and, you know, we think we'd be a good clickable thing. Here's look, look at this. We've got a famous person, put their face on the thumbnail. You know, what, whatever it is, I do think the, that stuff winds up mattering and yeah, like the platform's not coming to save you. You're going to have to go to a platform and then figure out where you're going from there. I think it's important to also think about film markets. Go check out Jason's interview with a indie development exec. And that is such a great place to be connecting with these platforms, with potential buyers, with distributors. And in a way, it feels like a, a, a bridge to get your projects out there and also get them made, which is something that you specifically uncover in that interview, Jason, which I thought was so helpful. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think it's, it is important to know your market and know who you're talking to and, and who you're selling to, especially you know, in today's climate where that's driving a lot of who's acquiring what you're doing. All right. So if you want to find us, I mean, first off, if you want to take a class with me, Brooklyn35mm.com yeah. next June, summer 2024, 35 millimeter classes in Brooklyn. 
it's like college credit classes that cost like four grand, but you spend two weeks shooting 35 millimeter every day on Panaflexes and Aries, Brooklyn35millimeter.com. I'm also, thanks to Jason, now on Blue Sky, charleshain.bluesky.com. I'm very excited to be there. So no more of me on the Twitter. I'm going to lock my account. And I'm on the Blue Sky, also Mastodon, but I never really post. And I do YouTube stuff. I'm uh, at Jason Hellerman on Twitter, at Jason Hellerman on Blue Sky, Jason at nofilmschool.com. You know, email me your, let me know who's picked up your film so I can watch it. You know, that's what I want. If it's on Amazon or Netflix or any of these places, I'd love to check it out. So, you know, please let me know. I'm always looking for things to watch. And it's way easier to make a decision if a reader's like, check out my thing on this than it is to, you know, not get to see something. So, you know, let me know. And I'm at Lost in Graceland across all social media platforms. And my work is ggHawkins.com. That is where you can see my work is what I meant to say. Thank you so much. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy 700th episode. Happy 700th episode, guys. Yeah. Should we take a screenshot right now? Okay, ready? One, two. Oh, oh no, I pressed the wrong button. Ready? One, One more two. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs>